Welcome to the Future Charlotte podcast. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. I've spent more than a decade studying Charlotte, first as a journalist and now as assistant director of the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. 20 years ago, this city looked radically different. No light rail, a smaller skyline, and breweries, what breweries? What will we look like in the next 20 years? That's what we're exploring on this show. Our guest today is Clayton Seeley, who you might know on Instagram or Twitter as at CLT Development. And we are here to talk about some big ideas about what Charlotte might look like one day, what the city is missing, why we catch flack for looking too bland, and what it's like to really get hooked on some of the nerdy ins and outs of Charlotte development. So Clayton, first of all, thanks for being here. Ah, thank you for having me. I- I'm excited to be a guinea pig yeah. and to uh, try out a new platform with you. Great. Just to start, kind of uh, tell me a little about your story. You know, you and I, we've worked together um, for years now, just kind of trading, uh, talk about Charlotte development. And uh, you've written for the Urban Institute, um, Charlotte Agenda, Charlotte Five, among other outlets. How did you come to get so into Charlotte development? Um, Well, I mean, it all started when I was a kid. Uh, my dad's company built uh, One Wells Fargo and built uh, Weston Charlotte. Sorry, he did, it's not his company, the company he worked for, which at the time was J.A. Jones. Um, so I had the opportunity to tour buildings from a very early age. And growing up in Myers Park, I was always in and out of construction sites, sneaking into houses. I was always just really fascinated with how buildings come together. Uh, Originally, I went to school for architecture. Um, I ended up finding out that I, I, I was more interested in building brands than I was building buildings. I wanted something a little more instantaneous as far as, you know, satisfaction of creating something goes. Uh, but looking back on it, I, I sometimes regret not going that other way. So, you know, creating CLT development has been kind of an outlet for me to learn about development and construction and pass that kind of information along to other people. And as it's gone, it started out with me just kind of being a fanboy for architecture and development. And as I've started to learn, it's, it's become more about building a responsible urban community and, you know, creating a more inclusive environment for citizens and a better place for recreation for shopping, for retail, to have a, like a holistic look on the urban realm and how we build our cities. So as someone who uh, grew up in Charlotte, lived um, in New York City for a long time and um, is now back in town, what are some of the biggest changes or what's the biggest difference from you know your first run living in Charlotte to um, coming back and living in Charlotte now? Um, you know, when I, I went to school and in Savannah. I went to Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, and that was kind of my first entryway into like urban, uh, like an urban environment where you have s- restaurants and bars and shops and, and all kinds of places that you can walk to. And that kind of was an intro to it. I would go back to Charlotte and I would see so much not enough. You know, it, I would come back and see so much to be desired from an urban perspective. And then I moved back here for about a year with my wife while we saved up and we got to see that firsthand. You know, the light rail wasn't quite completed. 
actually, I think it might have just been completed when we moved to New York. So we get to New York, and then you really see that urban realm on a massive scale. And you, you know, for 12 years, I didn't own a car. I shopped every day at the grocery store on my way home. I um, did every single thing that a normal person does with the car by foot, and it was great. And coming back to Charlotte 12 years later, um, and honestly, I've been back and forth probably once a month um, for those 12 years, um, whether it be for pleasure, for job, or for just loving this town and wanting to make it something else, make it something better. Um, <clears throat> sorry. And um, when I got back, I really have started to see, you know, the vision of people like Tai Wo and the vision of some of the developers in the city. And I think we're starting to get it. And we just got to remember that there's more to this than just development, that you have to build a cohesive vision. You have to build a cohesive city. You have to create something that's inclusive and, and something that is truly, you know, world-class. You know, Charlotte has always had a focus on what's new, the next big thing, what's new in the skyline. Um, you know, you and I, we've both written plenty of stories about new uh, developments coming and what they will look like when they're added to the skyline. Um, but yeah, I think you're right that that by itself doesn't build a city, doesn't build the urban fabric. Um, what do you think that we need to do as observers of development as people who are uh, very interested in this to really build that more cohesive vision and that more cohesive um, way of looking a way of creating charlotte's future well i mean i think it's about rethinking how we do engagement in this city which is part of like what i'm trying to do with clt development i'm trying to have these conversations exist on a platform um, and I think things have changed a lot in a COVID universe. There is a lot more accessibility um, to this kind of engagement. You know, we don't all have to show up and, and play a game, which is a great idea. Um, but I think it's really just finding new ways to engage, like as simple as that. And I think we've really started to do that. And the city has really started to succeed with that, especially with the 2040 plan. And especially with the UDO, I think they're really finding people in the community that are interested and want to give their opinions. And that's kind of, that's what we have to do as well as people with platforms, with followings and, and with, you know, groups of people that listen to us. And you mentioned uh, the UDO and, you know, Unified Development Ordinance and the new Comprehensive Vision Plan. Um, there's a lot of planning going on in Charlotte right now. What do you think are going to be like the real impacts that people see on the ground from what's really, you know, kind of an alphabet soup if you're not uh, versed in yeah. it sometimes? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm on the UDO committee and I can, and I can tell you it's still going to be an alphabet soup. Um, but I think that there's going to be a more cohesive vision for how our neighborhoods grow. And the one thing that I'm really excited about, the, the concept that really makes a lot of sense to me, especially coming from 
a setting like Brooklyn is the idea of 10 minute neighborhoods. I was talking previously about, you know, how I would get home from work and I could walk to the grocery store. I could walk to the liquor store. I could, you know, if I didn't feel like cooking, I could go to, um, a local restaurant or I could pick up my dry cleaning. I mean, I could do all that within a five to 10 minute walk from my house and 10 minute neighborhoods aren't always about walking, but they're about transit and they're about bikes and walking and scooters and being able to live your life, go to work, do everything that you need all within a convenient 10 minute span. You know, I, I walk all the time in Charlotte since we've been back I've been walking for the better part of 15 years constantly between Savannah and New York and now Charlotte and here from where I'm living it's about a 30 minute walk to the nearest restaurant and I'm within uh you know the inner ring if you will um being the um you know Wendover Woodlawn or no, what is it? Windover, Scaly Bark, Eastover. There's like a mm. ring. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I'm within that old, that older city loop. limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the older city limits, and it still takes me 30 minutes to walk to a grocery store, 25 minutes to walk to a restaurant, and that kind of thing shouldn't be happening in a city that that does have some density in it. Um, and I think the UDO is going to help push that into the forefront and create more livable neighborhoods. Now, will it work everywhere? Probably not. Will it be welcome everywhere? Probably not. But I think if you can encourage it and show people how useful it can be, I think it'll be very good for the city. Yeah, I think that's a really, um, really interesting point because that 10-minute neighborhoods concept, I think a lot of people might associate that with, um, with just walking, and it's going to be a really heavy lift to get Charlotte anywhere close to that. I mean, our land area is basically the same as all of New York City. um, And our population is about, you know, a 10th. So we're very not dense and very suburban through a lot of this city. But if you expand that 10 minute neighborhood concept to, you know, walk, transit, bike, um, some element of driving, then you've really got, something that I think will make a lot more sense in Charlotte. And I think that's going to be key to the messaging and selling um, of these plans as they come up for approval next year and the public really starts, you know, getting a look um, in 2021 at the nitty gritty of what the what changes actually are. I think, I think personally, I anticipate there will be a lot of pushback to the idea of doing away with single family only um, residential zoning, which uh, Taiwo Jaioba, the planning director, has um, talked about a lot. Uh, what do you think in that plan and in the other plans that are being worked now might get people's um, hackles up, so to speak? You know, I don't think they'll actually get away or do away with single family. I think they'll just uh, create some better guidelines for how you do it. I would think because I know that there's been some pushback in the city in the past about tiny home communities. Uh, One of the things that we've talked about in the UDO meetings is this idea of cottage courts. I will be really interested in how 
the city will react to that kind of concept. It, it's kind of like it, it, it's kind of like a tiny home community. I mean, except really, you could have larger homes. You could have you know eighteen hundred square foot homes just vertically stacked, and then kind of like a you would have like a how do I explain it? Like a common um, green or collaborative space. And then basically the cottages would be stacked around that. And then it would be on a road. It's kind of like a more dense townhouse, yeah, but it reminds with me more of, uh, open like, space. Um, I'm picturing bungalow courts in uh, LA, that kind of thing. Yes, exactly. What, else, what other changes do you think um, we need to look at in our uh, housing stock and our residential neighborhoods here? I mean, we've got uh, about 84% of our residential land zoned for single family, uh, you know, roughly 60% of the city's land overall. So that's really the biggest area is all our single family neighborhoods throughout Charlotte. Uh, what other changes do you think we need to look at to, whether you want to call it retrofit this city to be more walkable, more livable, more human scale, or as we build uh, new neighborhoods, building them out in a more walkable, livable, human scale uh, less auto dependent way. Well, I mean, I think if you let's take my the neighborhood I'm in, for instance, I think you're going to see a lot more single family uh, sites subdivided, which in the Myers Park area, you're really starting to see that people are buying single, for instance, on the corner of Sharon and Harris, someone bought two homes, and now it's going to be um, two homes and one duplex. So you're going from two houses to four houses. Uh, unfortunately, the pricing on the new houses is more expensive than what was demolished. So even though one is multifamily, I think you're going to really start to see more single family converted into multi-use all over the city because we are obviously running out of land. I just would like to see people actually develop properties that are affordable because I'm getting priced out personally of neighborhoods that, you know, 10 years ago, I would have never imagined I'd be priced out of. So we need to find good ways to replace and preserve. We need to replace affordable housing with denser affordable housing or naturally occurring affordable housing. And we need to preserve our naturally, uh, naturally according affordable naturally occurring affordable housing right i know that i saw katie <laughs> yeah yeah katie peralta had agenda had a great story on that recently and uh, yes. you know naturally occurring affordable housing is basically older less expensive housing that's not subsidized has the acronym NOAA, which is you know another component of this whole alphabet soup i mentioned earlier yeah um, it's hard to keep <laughs> straight so, yeah and uh it's actually yeah. interesting if you walk around some of the older neighborhoods like, let's again use Myers Park as an example, South Park also. If you walk around Selwyn Avenue or you walk around Sharon, you come across, you know, triplexes, quads, multifamily, maybe eight unit, 10 unit, 12 unit buildings. And they exist and they were built, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And they still exist. I used to live in Dilworth and, um, you know, walking around that neighborhood. You would just see um, duplexes, triplexes right next to single family houses. And it was nothing mm -hmm. special. It was no, you know, big, big deal. 
but it was clear yeah. that that neighborhood had been built in a different era when the market um, was more amenable to developments like that and local mm-hmm. regulations allowed it. Well, we need to get back to that kind of community because that's, you know, you walk, you walk around those areas and, and you can feel a difference. When you walk around older neighborhoods in Charlotte, I think that's a great way to illustrate to people what kind of impact changes to regulations, uh, zoning laws, all these esoteric things can have. So I think if you walk around some of the newer neighborhoods in Southwest Charlotte, some of the farther out exurbs, you know, you really see a lot more uniformity, a lot more um, similar identical lot sizes, the way buildings are constructed, totally auto dependent. You walk around these older neighborhoods, a lot of the things we've done are very different. We've built them in different ways. They have houses of different sizes and some are multifamily, some are single family. And if you ask people, you know, which they prefer, I think a lot of people will say the older neighborhoods, but we've yeah. kind of made it really difficult to build that. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's an interesting, um, you know, an interesting comment on what most people say they like is what we've made it most difficult to build from mm-hmm. our, in our residential neighborhoods. Yeah. So that kind of gets to a good an, point. So that kind of gets to another uh, question I wanted to talk about, which is Charlotte's bland appearance. You know, I think the city has a nice skyline, but there are a lot of folks out there who, you know, point to, um, and this is not just in Charlotte, but similar looking apartment buildings that are being constructed all over, um, neighborhoods, you know, built in the last 20, 30 years where you have a, a lot of conformity and they might say, man, you know, Charlotte doesn't have a distinct architecture. As someone who both has followed development for a long time, was a student of architecture, and probably spends more time looking at buildings than is healthy, uh, what, <laughs> what do you think? Are we bland? Oh, man, this is something that I grapple with constantly. Um, because on one hand, I want everything to be high quality. I want everything to be like architect driven. I want everything to be tall and and beautiful but the fact of the matter is that price points in charlotte do not really justify that kind of thing you look at the top cities in the country and you know they are getting these great buildings but could any of us ever live in them and the answer is most likely not charlotte's not really building things for the one percent we're kind of building things for, you know, the people that exist quite a bit below that. I know that it's still expensive, but with land prices and construction costs and everything that goes into it regulation wise, these buildings end up becoming so expensive that you can't really make them all that interesting. And part of the problem really is, is parking decks and the price that parking decks cost here. You know, you could spend anywhere between $25,000 and $35,000 of space, sometimes more, just to add a structure that, you know, people are just going to leave a car idling in. So until we can, you know, step away from that auto, that auto dependency and use transit better, have more 10-minute neighborhoods like we were talking about, and at least, you know, if you have a 10-minute neighborhood at least the idea is that you could eliminate one of the parking decks you know 
one that you live in, one that you work in. Um, so I think costs really need to come down construction wise. And I think profits, you know, what people are willing to profit on kind of need to come down as well. I think if there's a push shove kind of mentality in the community, I think people are just need to make money. And they're trying the best they can to get to that point. Yeah, that's a good point. We um, sometimes want all of uh, everything to look amazing and unique. We also want it to be affordable. And affordable housing mm-hmm. has been such a, an issue in our community. You know, those those goals can be intention sometimes. Which is why it's like great when you see what people like Clay Grubb are doing uh, with his project in Seversville uh, that actually has no parking. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be really I would interesting like, to see. Yeah, and I would have liked to have seen that with, let's say, in Livian's project at Hall House, which um, we won't talk about too much further. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think it's about identifying the right places in the community where there is already access to transit and creating buildings that have a whole lot less reliance on parking whether that be multifamily, whether that be office, because, you know, there's a, a project coming up soon at, I believe, Bland Street Station. Um, that's I mean, have we even six... have a Bland Street, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's going to have 16 spaces, and it's right, 1,600 spaces, and it's right on a light rail line. Of course, the light rail in Charlotte only really serves 5% of the population, so I understand it. But we need to make sure we create a transit system that actually can allow us to be less auto dependent. Once we become less auto dependent, maybe you can put, you know, however many percentage that you would have spent on parking and apply that to architecture, you know, apply that to better finishes, more unique retail spaces. It's really just like fixing the balance sheet so that we don't spend so much money on where our cars sit for you know most of the day that's a good way to put it we could maybe take some of those savings and um make our buildings a little uh cooler looking some of them so yeah i think of um neighborhoods that people point to um like brownstone neighborhoods where you know they're they're great people love them but when those were built those were you know middle class housing a lot of them Mm -hmm. Um, they weren't anything special. They look very uniform, uh, but they've really aged well. And I think they create an urban fabric that has obviously stood the test of time in tons of cities. Do you think that the multifamily developments we're seeing, um, the neighborhoods we're building now, the five-story Texas donut style apartment buildings, do you think those will stand the test of time in some way that you know maybe we're not seeing right now or do you think in 40 50 years we'll be looking at a, a ton of teardowns in a lot of the neighborhoods that are, are brand new right now i think it's a mix depending i think there's some people that are doing it very well and their building should um stand the test of time but in a lot of cases i think you will definitely see a lot of teardowns but that's also which will be really interesting to see the city uh, tear down buildings that large. Um, But I think that that's kind of the natural progression of how a city grows these days. Uh, We're kind of replacing things 
as we go right now. And I think especially in like the areas of South End, at some point, you know, let's say there's a, you know, there's a mid-rise office building on Moorhead Street. That might not be the highest and best use in, you know, three or four years. I could see a lot of things in South End, for instance, um, turning around and, and becoming something a little more dense. Um, but the multifamily buildings, it'll be interesting to see because I know that there's several that have needed facade um, upfits already that are only 20 years old or 10 years old. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how their up how their upkeep is actually kept up with and you know what we can do because this is kind of new to us. You know, we're not building as much with masonry and stone. You know, we're using synthetic materials like EIFS and which is uh, like kind of like a styrofoam with a plaster on top. It's you kind of see it and um, you know, there was a big hubbub when the Bohemian was built about it snowing on the ground that's ef eifs mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see how that stuff actually holds up yeah in some ways you know we're kind of uh we're building big swatches of the city with um you know relatively new construction methods which i think is a a sub theme that is kind of in the weeds but is mm-hmm. worth thinking about yeah it is i mean the, i think one of the other problems is you know people are building these not to invest long term they're building them a lot of times to get them occupied quickly and sold to someone to manage it so it'll be interesting to see how the people that are managing it work with what they receive i think a lot of places are trending upwards um, some of the cheaper places to build like around park road shopping center for instance those those tend to be way higher quality than like a South End. But even South End is starting to trend upwards. You can see that with Hawk. Hawk is precast concrete. You can see that with Novel Atherton. It's primarily brick, except near the parapet where it's EIFS. Um, Centro Rail Yard. I think we've start to hit kind of our groove architecturally in some of the neighborhoods. So. I think people are starting to figure it out what it takes to build attractive communities because I think there's been pushback in the community about what looks good, where people want to live, what they want their curb appeal to look like. And now the population is growing enough in some of these inner city neighborhoods that you're seeing more retail space and more, you know, people think of amenities beyond saltwater water pools, you know. Being able to walk to things is as much of an amenity as a dog walk, a dog wash station. So I think people, I think things are trending upwards, is what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> I think for a lot of people, um, being able to walk somewhere to pick up food after work instead of, you know, driving 20 minutes to a grocery store would be the best amenity of the new community. So, you know, although. Yeah. I would like to have a dog wash to throw my kids in sometimes, clean them off fast. <laughs> that could be good too. Yeah, they need a kid wash station. That would be yes. awesome. Yes, oh, I buy that. <laughs> so as we get close to wrapping up here, um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do is just ask you, um, if you were king for a day of Charlotte, you have a magic wand, 
you can wave it anywhere, get rid of something, add something, change something in the built environment. What do you do with your Magic King's development wand for a day and why? I mean, I would big dig um, a highway. I'm sure you know which highway. I can um, guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, I always have this shtick about making 277 a river. Um, people hate it or they love it. Um, but it's never really about making it a river. That would be absurd. But it is calling to attention, you know, this artery that that actually splits apart two of our most prominent and economic, you know, the economic beating heart of the city. It, you know, cuts these two areas into two distinct areas. And I would like to see a big dig where we actually bury um, 277 on the sides of the city where it's not buried and actually cap over it on the others. And then that would just be for parkland, development, you know, natural areas, greenery, you know, a, something that would really put Charlotte on the map. Now, I don't know how to pay for that. Well, that's what the magic but, wand is for. Yes, that's what the magic wand is for. Um, but I, I think that kind of concept would be something that other cities look at. And other cities, frankly, are doing things like this. Seattle is, of course, they're, you know, they have a highly problematic um, tunnel because of it, but, or attempt at a tunnel. Um, I'm not sure what, where that stands. Um, but yeah, I would definitely get rid of 277. I'm sorry, not get rid of. I would yes. cap and yes. cap and uh, and make better. Yeah, not make a yeah. river literally. Yes. <laughs> um, and the the last question is just looking ahead. You know, kind of the idea for this podcast was spawned by um, Charlotte's 2040 uh, future vision plan, and just looking at that and thinking what will come to pass in this and what won't. So from a, a more general perspective, what do you think the biggest change from someone or from now will be in 2040? When you're, you know, either living in or visiting Charlotte in 20 years, what do you think you'll see and say, wow, that's really different? Gosh, I, I would like to think, and, you know, this is something that has to do with Charlotte Moves, um, which is, you know, at a really important crossroads as we speak, looking for funding and figuring out funding mechanisms to actually make it possible. Um, but I think that I come back in 2040, and I hope I still live here. I would like to think there's a more, more robust transit system that will actually move people to and from in Charlotte. And I also think, you know, I, I'll be curious to see if how autonomous vehicles play into that as well, especially from a transit perspective. Um, and I think I would like to think that there will be more parkland and hopefully more culture. And I think 10 minute communities will be super successful by then. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, our guest is Clayton Seely. And why don't you tell folks uh, where they can find you online? Uh, you can find me at uh on twitter at clt development and on instagram also at clt development i'm also on facebook 
but I don't look at that website. So you don't really need to follow me there. But the other ones, definitely follow me. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte.